0: IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Just News. That's TNUSA.com slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. Hump day, yep. What a busy week. It's supposed to be quiet in Washington in August. (laughs) Don't believe that. That's an old adage that hasn't held true since the days of the Clinton scandals in the 90s when the Clinton White House would dump bad news in the middle of summer and I, when I worked at the Associated Press, would get a lot of it and I'd be spending my August working harder than ever and that's never changed. Washington is particularly busy, particularly when it comes to scandals. For some reason, a lot of scandal revelations seem to come out in August and today is no exception. We've got Three big stories. All three we broke on just the news. We were one of the first news organizations on all three of these. And we're going to have a great lineup to go through why these revelations are so important. First, let me tell you what they are. James Comer has put out the third banking records analysis memo from the House Oversight Committee Investigation of the Biden family finances. It is a very important one because it establishes that several oligarchs, several foreigners, paid between hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars into coffers that benefited Hunter Biden and his associates shortly before those same oligarchs got audiences with, that's right, the guy who said he never met with anyone, Joe Biden. That's right. There are these two meetings at Cafe Milano, one in April 2014, another in April 2015, according to the evidence that has been brought forth in the congressional investigations. And at those meetings, there were attendees and those attendees were able to Get direct access and have dinner with Joe Biden, the sitting vice president. All of them had business that was pending before the Obama Biden administration at the time. And it is a very disturbing pattern. And some of them I'm going to go through in a second, but. The other headline is, as they keep going through these bank records, the number of, the amount of foreign money that flowed into Hunter Biden Inc., Joe Biden Inc., whatever you want to call it, keeps going up. It was a few million, then it was about 10, 12 million. Today, according to James Comer and his investigators at the House Oversight Committee, that number has now reached 20 million. From Russia, from China, from Ukraine, from Kazakhstan, from Romania, among the countries. Now, when you dig in deeper, who are those? Well, several of them are oligarchs who had legal problems or reputational problems or were married to people that had reputational problems. Elena Botterina, a Russian oligarch, by the way, herself, never accused of any wrongdoing, but she was married for a long time to the former mayor of Moscow, Yuri Luskov. He was somebody that the U.S. ambassador to Russia once called the owner or operator of a pyramid of corruption. Well, Elena Botterina gave $3.5 million in February 2014 to an entity tied to Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, and others. Two months later, she's at a dinner with Joe Biden. Okay, you see that? That's a a clear one. Barisma Holdings, its owner, Zolchevsky, was fighting corruption allegations in England, the United States, and Ukraine at the time he hired Hunter Biden. Over the course of several years, they paid $6.5 million two entities tied to Hunter Biden, Devin Archer and others in the Biden Inc world world and guess what in April of 2015 after some of those payments were made it's one of its top executives Vadim Pazarski well he got dinner with Joe Biden even sent a thank you letter afterwards. We're going to make that public tonight. You're going to enjoy that. Let's take another one. Over the uh, years, there uh, was an effort by Hunter Biden to try to get into the energy markets of Kazakhstan, a country that has a history of corruption from its old Soviet days. Its former prime minister, a guy named Masimov, just recently sent to prison for crimes that include alleged treason, bribery, things like that. Well, back in April 2015, one of the Kazakh officials, Kenneth Rakeshev paid $142,300 to a company associated with Hunter Biden. The next day, the company wrote the same amount check to get Hunter Biden a luxury car. How about that? Just out of the blue, you get a luxury car. You also got a luxury diamond. Remember that story, Ed? Well, Kenneth Rakeshev shows up right around the same time. At a dinner with Joe Biden, you see the pattern here. We have the whole story up at justthenews.com. And tonight on the television show, Just the News, No Noise, James Comer is going to come on and make sense of that. But that's the first story that broke. It's getting a lot of attention and for all the right reasons. The second one is a story that broke just a little while ago from a great nonprofit watchdog called Open the Books. Open the Andrew Andrzejewski is going to join us in a second. He's the founder and leader of that great organization. Well, they fought a long FOIA battle and they have been able to confirm that NIH scientists were being paid royalties for inventions they made with US tax dollars but they got the personal royalties total amount 325 million who are some of the recipients well how about Dr. Francis Collins the former head of NIH and Dr. Anthony Fauci yep the commander in chief of the coronavirus response a lot of people have some beefs with Dr. Fauci those two alone the top of the agency got 58 royalty payments over the years, paid to them for inventions that they did while they were working for the NIH. These are big things. The revolving door of ethics here, big issue. And we're going to bring on in just a little bit Adam Andrzejewski to talk about that. I'm pretty excited about that. That's going to be a good one. A third one involves Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. This one brought to light by our good friends at Protect the Public Trust. That's Michael Chamberlain. He's going to join us. Secretary Granholm, well, she... I used to serve on a the board of an energy company, an electric vehicle bus maker called uh, Proterra, and she had those stock options. She When she became energy secretary, she apparently traded him and she got $1.6 million. Proterra got a lot of promotion from the Biden administration for its EV work. I think Joe Biden made a virtual uh, appointment. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris touted electric vehicle buses a lot. Well, the company just went belly up. And it's now bankrupt seeking chapter 11 protection. And Jennifer Granholm got her money out before that did a good example of the revolving door in the EV and clean energy space that's going on with the Biden administration. Michael Chamberlain going to get us up to speed on that. I'm super excited about that. And then with all of these revelations coming out one after the other, our good friends at AMAC, because today is AMAC Wednesday at Just the News. We celebrate AMAC every Wednesday with an interview here on John Solomon Reports. Well, one of the best congressional investigators in modern congressional history is going to join us. Bobby Charles will be with us in just a little bit. And he's going to walk through the corruption issues, whether FARA, the Foreign Agent Registration Act, now seems to apply to Hunter Biden's activities, whether Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the Foreign Bribery Statute, whether that applies here, we're going to get all that on AMAC Wednesday from Bobby Charles, one of the great investigators in congressional history, then an assistant secretary of state in the George W. Bush administration, and today the national spokesman for the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC, on AMAC Wednesday. So what a show. We've got a great lineup. We're going to take a quick commercial break in a second. Adam Andrzejewski is going to join us in a second. We're going to talk about those royalties to NIH scientists for inventions you and I paid for, $325 million flowing to NIH scientists. Even Fauci and Collins got in on it. We're going to have that. But before we go to commercial break, remember, it is AMAC Wednesday. If you want to join AMAC like I do, I challenge you, go match my five-year membership. It's cheaper than a dinner on the town here in Washington, D.C. You get five years of benefit, five years of news, five years of savings and discounts, five years of opportunity to join the AMAC Action Army to do civic duty things like be an election watcher or contact your state legislator or your congressperson to talk about legislation that can make this country better. If you go to amac.us slash justnews amac.us slash justnews today, you're going to get a discount off of one, three, or five-year. I recommend the five-year. It's the best deal. Mine paid for itself after the first couple discounts. So it was a bargain to get in on, and it provides everyday benefit to me as a journalist, just as an old-fashioned American citizen. Go to amac.us slash justnews today. You'll get a discount. You can join the AMAC Army. More than point. Three million strong Americans that share appreciation for freedom, for honesty, for integrity in government, for a smaller government, for freedom as Americans, uh, the freedoms we were guaranteed in our Constitution and in our Declaration of Independence. AMAC.US, that's A M A C, A M A C.US slash just news to get started on that journey. You'll understand even more when we have our conversation with Bobby Charles in a few minutes. All right, we're going to go to commercial break. When we come back, Adam Andrzejewski from OpenTheBooks.com, the big bombshell revelation, new records from royalty payments. By the way, you want to hear something interesting? When I was an AP reporter back in 2004, I got the first FOIA that exposed the first royalties. Obviously, they've gotten bigger, larger, more expensive. But Adam Andrzejewski did something that I have a very close personal connection with. And I love it because it's transparency. He'll explain after these commercial messages. and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward in investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As I said at the top of the show, one of several big stories that broke all in a row today. It's kind of a pretty amazing day. An effort, a FOIA lawsuit, fought by a very important transparency group, one of my favorite watchdogs, OpenTheBooks.com, forced out into public all of the royalties that NIH scientists have been collecting over the last two decades for experiments, for technologies, for drugs that you, the American taxpayer, paid for. So you paid for them, you took the risk, and then the researchers who already get a salary from the United States government, people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Francis Collins, they get the royalties. I know that makes you feel uncomfortable. The scope of this is extraordinary. Let's just take the top two guys from the pandemic. Tony Fauci, Francis Collins, 58 royalty payments over the last decade and a half. So they're getting some stuff. And total, all NH scientists, you ready for this, for all inventions, medical inventions, drugs, more than $325 million Fifty-six thousand payments in royalties to these scientists for work that you paid for. While well, joining me right now, the man behind opening the books, and I think one of the great fighters for transparency in America, Adam Interjeski joins us right now. Good to have you back on the show, my friend.
1: Well, John, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be. It's great to be here.
0: You have done great work. This was like a dental extraction exercise, right? You you got the first round of documents. They were so blacked out, they were useless. You kept fighting. You worked with. Judicial Watch. Ultimately, you're getting the American people to see, hey, these are our employees. They work for the United States government and they're making money off inventions that taxpayers paid for. How important was it to get the size and scope of these royalties to the American public.
1: So I think during the pandemic, John, the American people started to feel that big government was very close to big pharma. And this is a database that shows you empirically just how close they are. And obviously, we were inspired by your work back in 2004 and 2005 with the Associated Press when you broke this database open for the first time back then, and you were able to follow the money. You filed a Federal Freedom of Information Act request, and they gave you the entire data And you found scandal. You found that Dr. Anthony Fauci had collected $45,000 worth of royalties from 1997 through 2004 for an AIDS therapeutic that he invented with his deputy at his institute, uh, Clifford Lane, and that they had also put in, through their institute, $36 million of taxpayer money to enhance that invention and get it tested. And so when this was discovered, it was a scandal, Fauci had burnt down all the firewalls within his own institute, and and it was on its face, conflict of interest. And that's when Fauci said, quote, unquote, I will donate my royalties to charity. Of course, he provided no proof
2: over the years. Yeah.
0: And there's been an effort to make this information harder and harder and harder to get, sweep it under the rug. There is a mindset that you see at the National Institutes of Health that these are their work, that we're scientists and this, we are the science, you're not, and you're not entitled to see it. You can't handle the truth, so we're not going to let you see it. And that's been on everything from the COVID origins, potentially emanating from the Wuhan Institute of Virology to which royalties these scientists get for inventions that, you know, we all paid for. Is there any progress that you've seen uh, beyond the courts forcing this disclosure where NIH realizes we have an obligation to more transparency than we've given the American public?
1: No, NIH has done everything they possibly could to stop us from making this information public, John. It's been a fierce battle. Over the course of the last two years, a knockdown drag out dog fight to open the books on these third party royalties. And we're making real progress. So here's the timeline. And you know we filed our federal freedom of information act request in september of 2021 so it's almost been two years the agency ignored it and then we sued them immediately with our lawyers judicial watch the washington dc based public interest law firm they've been absolutely terrific we quickly won that foia case and by february of 2022 nih said that they would produce the line-by-line royalties all the way back to the year 2009 but they slow-walked the production. Over the course of 10 months, they produced 3,000 pages of these line-by-line royalties. But they blacked it out so significantly that if we didn't employ forensic data scientists, the production would be worthless. Here's what they blacked out. They blacked out the name of the company who paid the royalty. They blacked out the amount paid the individual scientist and by the company itself. And they blacked out the license number and uh, and patent number, the invention. So we didn't know uh, the amount the individual scientists were receiving. We could see their names. We didn't know who paid the royalty, and we didn't know what the invention was. These are government-paid, taxpayer-paid scientists and government-taxpayer-paid labs inventing things, licensing them to the private sector, and NIH wanted to throw a blanket over the entire complex.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. The secret insistence of this agency has always mystified me going all the way back two decades ago when I, I did the original work for AP on things like conducting research, AIDS drug research on foster children and your parents, children who didn't have full-time parents. They couldn't wait to throw the blanket over that as well. There is, a I think, a very important legal issue that stems from this, which is, I think it was a year ago, Anthony Fauci was asked by Senator Rand Paul, did you ever get any royalties from an entity that received NIAID money? And he said, I doubt it. That's what Fauci said. He doubted it. But there is some real serious questions of whether that's true, because there are 37 payments, right? You've got some from Santa Cruz Biotechnology. You've got some from Ancel Corp. You've got some from Chiron Corp. Now, Chiron Corp, now owned by Novartis, was a contractor for NIAD back in 2004 uh, when they were helping to develop an avian Bird flu influenza vaccine. There's going to be, I suspect, some interest in members of Congress about whether Tony Fauci gave them an honest answer. What's your assessment of what you found in the Fauci royalties alone and whether they call into question his earlier testimony?
1: So I think Fauci, in two aspects, at best, mis- misled U.S. Senator Rand Paul twice in those U.S. Senate hearings last year. So, number one, Fauci misled Senator Paul and the Senate and the American people writ large on the fact that that they didn't have to disclose who paid them their royalties. Last week, we won a big victory when the National Institutes of Health, they amended their Freedom of Information Act production because of our lawsuit, and they gave us the company names. So for the first time, we know that there's 2,019 companies, and we can tie out each company to a scientist. So we know the companies now, today that are paying that were paying Dr. Anthony Fauci. And you're exactly right when Fauci said he doubted whether or not one of his royalty-paying companies, whether or not he was regulating them or grant-making to them. There's a real question on that. We tie that out in the piece today at our open the piece or you can go to open the books.com and read it. Um, because uh, you know, he was actually contracting with his royalty payers at, at Chiron who eventually becomes Novartis, as you as you mentioned, uh, he had greenlit avian bird uh, flu vaccine contracts with them. Uh, so that is the second way that Fauci misled Congress.
0: Wow. These are big things. And it, it follows a pattern because there's obviously questions about Fauci and his testimony about COVID-19, the origins. Uh, this one fits into that another category. Now, there is an interesting twist that the New York Post and others have found today. There seems to be uh, one of the royalty payers involves a lab in China right near the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I think it's called the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products, right? Uh, and that they paid a licensing fee to some of the NIH folks. Why is this important, given what we now know about COVID-19 and the possibility of a lab leak in Wuhan at the in Wuhan Institute of Virology, which apparently is a sister organization to this other institute that was paying royalties to the NIH?
1: So our auditors at OpenTheBooks.com, we were able to tie out the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products with 64 payments. Uh, So they licensed this Chinese CCP state-owned company, had licensed uh, the medical inventions from NIH, developed at U.S. taxpayer expense, and was paying NIH royalties. And they were paying royalties basically to the C-suite. So over at at Fauci's Institute, there was a guy, uh, Robert Chinook. And his successor, Jeffrey Cohen. Yeah,
0: Dr. Shannock, I think, died, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, he died recently, yeah.
1: And they were director of the the lab over at NIAID, the Infectious Diseases Lab. And this uh, CCP-owned company was paying those scientists royalties from their inventions. And also, we were able to tie out that Douglas Lowy, three times since 2015, he's been the acting director of the National Cancer Institute. And they caught him a royalty check as well. So you're talking three C-suite, C-suite level guys at NIH in two different institutes where this Chinese CCB owned state-owned company who is very close and collaborated with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and is actually situated uh, as neighbors to them back in China – Uh, they were dialed in at the highest levels at NIH.
0: Yeah, well, we've asked for some comment from NIH today. There's been crickets, but we're gonna keep pursuing it. Greg Piper, our great reporter, who's worked a lot on Fauci and NIH and conflicts of interest. Gonna stay on top of this, Adam. You do such amazing work. And of course, I've been affiliated and writing stuff off Open the Books for many, many years. But if someone's listening for the first time, tell us a little bit about the mission of Open the Books. And obviously, its success is transparency, but its mission and also how people can connect through your substack, through your social media, through the website.
1: So at OpenTheBooks.com, we believe that transparency revolutionizes United States public policy and politics. So, like for instance, this database of third party royalties, this is a perfect example of why we exist. We don't trust public officials, even when they go in front of Congress and say something. We look at the documents and the hard facts. And so, just specific to this third party royalty issue, you can come to our website we're opening up the entire database. You can download an Excel database and you yourself can slice it and dice it and see what you see in that database. And that's, that's where news media is getting their own stories right from the work that we've done to post this information on our website. Now, John, as you know, last year we filed 55,000 Freedom of Information Act requests. That's amazing. It was that's the most amazing. in American history. And we captured nearly every dime taxed and spent at the local, state, and federal level, and we display it on our website for everybody to
0: parse through. That is uh, an extraordinary public service and because it's so it gets harder and harder to access particularly spending records they come in different formats they often are disjointed you make them so accessible so easy to do it and it's interesting not only do journalists like myself get the benefit but a lot of public policy makers now turn to your organization to do research and to make good policy decisions based on how past money was spent and i think that that is such an extraordinary opportunity for people to benefit. This is a gift that gives every day. You, You post it once, it might get used thousands of times after that as people try to understand how their government is working and how their tax dollars are spent. Adam, it's always an honor. This was a very big story. We're going to be digging into this data for, data for weeks because it's such a rich data set. But I want to thank you for the fight to get this information public, because I know it wasn't easy. I know it's not exp- inexpensive. Uh, but the, the level of transparency it created for us today is a great victory for the American people. I want to thank you for doing that and also for helping make sense of it on the show today.
1: Well and thank you John for your fight to open up these third party royalties it was an inspiration we would not have filed our request but for seeing your work in 2005 so thank you for setting the pace and setting the example.
0: Ah yeah, that's great to hear and it's such a good thing Americans benefit every time we can get them just a few more shreds of facts about how the government works and this one gives us a big staple of new information to to dig in. I, I suspect the policymakers will be going through this and perhaps even coming up with some reform legislation. So, bravo. Great work. We'll get you on uh, real soon because you're always doing great work, Adam. Hey, sounds great, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, great honor. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Michael Chamberlain from Protect the Public Stress will be next. We're going to talk about all of the concerns growing around Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and her connection to a clean energy electric vehicle bus maker right after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. At the top of the show, we told you about day two of what we think is a very important story about the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, and Proterra, a burgeoning EV maker who's going to make electric buses. It was touted by the Biden administration on Monday, as we told you. It filed for bankruptcy. So one of the iconic brands that Joe Biden was using to sell electric vehicles to the American public now in bankruptcy. In fact, it blames the Biden economy for its bankruptcy. Well, there's a subplot to that, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and that is that Jennifer Granholm used to serve on the board of Proterra. And after she became energy secretary, after a virtual visit to the plant by Joe Biden, which boosted the plant's profile, she divested in her stock about $1.6 million she walked off with as energy secretary from a company that was benefiting from the Biden administration's push. This has raised a lot of ethics questions, and if they sound familiar, it's because our next guest has been pursuing ethics investigations of Secretary Granholm for some time. Joining us right now from Protect the Public Stress, I think one of the most cogent voices in the ethics space today, our good friend Michael Chamberlain. Michael, good
2: to have you back on. Oh, great to be on, John. Thank you very much for having me.
0: This is a continuing saga. It seems like both energy regulating departments in the cabinet of Joe Biden have problems, right? We've talked a lot about interior and Deb Holland, but Jennifer Granholm is raising more and more red flags every day. The idea that she served on the board, got this company, then became energy secretary. This company gets kind of the Biden, her rob. She walks off with her money at a time when it's flying high. And now the rest of the investors are stuck in bankruptcy. Probably not a good appearance issue if not a good ethics issue. What do you think?
2: Oh, absolutely not, John. And if you were if the Biden administration is living up to its claims to be the most ethical in history, you, you certainly couldn't tell that by the Department of Energy or by the Department of the Interior uh, at, at Energy. It's just been a series one after another of ethical missteps, to, to put it mildly, that have just continued to happen, beginning with the connection of Secretary Grantholm to Proterra. So she served on the board of Proterra until she was confirmed as secretary. And then she inexplicably held on to stock options, as you mentioned, for an extended period of time, even until the the really the media pressure became too great or apparently for her to 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 be able to continue before she finally did sell those. And meanwhile the the Biden administration, President Joe Biden, Vice President Harris, They were promoting the company. Uh, They, I believe the CEO made visits to the White House. Uh, It it really, at that time, it, it really did not look good from an ethical perspective.
0: Yeah. And there are lots of things that you've been worried about. Secretary Granholm's husband had some positions with Ford. There's a lot of energy department decisions going to the benefit of Ford. Talk a little bit about the broader perspective of the potential conflicts of interest you keep uncovering just inside the energy department.
2: Well, if if you go back to twenty twenty one, John, and and it, it ties into the ProTerra story. So the Department of Energy had a a program called the Super Truck 3 program, and they were trying to promote uh, this transition from diesel trucks to electric vehicles and so they created or they actually extended this program that'd been in, in past administrations and uh, the secretary was was heavily involved in participating in the in the program she held a call with members of the trucking industry when when they announced it to generate some interest in it and at the end when they announced the awardees Uh, She, it turns out that several of them were companies that were tied either financially or on supply chain to Proterra. Uh, And they had the announcements with she made an appearance with Vice President Harris, and they were flanked with Proterra buses in the background to even add to the, the majesty of the event. And so we we believe that, that there's crossed some ethical lines in there uh, with her participation in the program and Proterra being tied to these companies that that received money. But little did we know at the time, it was even worse than we thought. So a few months ago, Gen- uh, Secretary Granholm told Congress that, no, she didn't own any any individual stocks. Well, then she later had to, to come back to them and change the story and say, well, she didn't own any conflicting stocks. Well, then she had to come back and change that story yet again and admit that, yes, her husband had indeed owned stock in Ford Motor Company. Interestingly enough, one of the grantees that was hired to Proterra back that received almost $25 million from the Super Truck 3 program was Ford Motor Company. So she participated in a program in which a company in which her husband owned stock, which, as you know, John, if, when you're in the federal government, your spouse's ownership of stock is imputed to you. So it's just as if you owned it, where she was in a position and, and her department awarded funds to a, a company that she or her husband owned stock in. I don't know that it gets much clear cut than that.
0: It's pretty clear cut, isn't it? There's no doubt about it. The picture is here. And it, there is this larger, I think, larger question now that is becoming apparent that throughout the Biden administration, through the complaints that you've been able to document at EPA, Janet Yellen, uh, there seems to be a lip service to ethics, but not a practice of ethics. Is that an, too harsh a, an assessment of what we're seeing?
2: I'm I'm not sure that it is John I I think unfortunately I think you may be more correct than than any, many of us hoped that that you would be that that a statement like that would be uh we came in with high hopes and there was a, a lot of high-minded rhetoric of, about ethics that coming from the white house and it just really doesn't seem that that's, that where the rubber meets the road that road that that's really uh been the case uh in in addition to secretary granholm's uh missteps uh there's also the 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 incidents regarding kelly speaks backman who was initially the acting assistant secretary for uh, for renewable energy and she had gone to public event or gone to events uh, on her official in her official capacity and promoted and endorsed her former employer. Uh, We filed a a complaint on that a multiple times that, that we believe that happened. And we filed multiple complaints. Um, And then there's the, there is the the episodes regarding uh, Samuel Britton and his, his adventures traveling the country. And, and apparently in one case, even admittedly uh, stealing luggage from other people at the at the airport and and it was even revealed recently and in media reports that he was on official travel and at least one of those incidents occurred so it it looks from from the top down john it's uh, at the department of energy Uh, Secretary Granholm's example at the top is filtering down to the bottom, and unfortunately, it's not a good example.
0: You've raised a lot of questions about Treasury Secretary Yellen and her relationship to Brookings, and I think this relationship between think tanks and government officials is becoming more and more apparent. It was at a think tank that Joe Biden made the famous acknowledgement that he forced the firing of Ukraine's prosecutor who was investigating a sense company at the time at one of such think tank. There's been a couple of people that were involved in Russia collusion that had connections to these think tanks and there's concerns about the revolving door. Talk a little bit about what you've been able to expose about Treasury Secretary Yellen in Brookings and why it, it, I think, is another sign of the sort of in, uneven adherence to government ethics.
2: Well, since Secretary Yellen worked at, at Brookings prior to, to joining the administration, she, hers was an unpaid Capacity. She uh, didn't receive any payment, but as far as the ethics rules go, John, that really doesn't doesn't matter. If you are an employer, you're associated with an organization in in certain capacity. How much they pay you is not material in most cases for ethics. Uh, but then she she came to the administration, and her husband continued to work for Brookings, so she had a. A covered relationship in the the mantra of the the ethics rules uh, with with brookings uh, but she also received a waiver to participate in in matters involving brookings as long as it, it they didn't receive any direct financial benefit from her participation essentially so uh, sh- she could speak at brookings events uh, you know, things like that and participate in matters like that. And so it's it's kind of a just a separate, you know, there, there's a, a little different treatment than maybe given in the past to people in the same, in the same sort of position. Now, maybe Brookings didn't receive a direct financial benefit from her giving a speech, but they certainly received a promotional benefit. I mean, who wouldn't want to, to claim and, and who, You know, who wouldn't want to be associated or, or, you know, if you're a a funder, you know, maybe the fact that the Treasury secretary uh, spoke at this group may kind of sway your decision about where you're going to direct some of your money when you have the opportunity. Yeah,
0: it really is pretty remarkable and the revolving door, which I think you've done such a good job at Protect the public's trust to expose. I think more and more people are beginning to see this most ethical uh, administration history claim just doesn't add up when you look at the behavior. It's one thing to have the lip service, another thing to have the behavior. And I think time and again, you had another good example at EPA, where a uh, very important revolving door with these sort of left environmental groups and the agency is, is playing out every day. Can you give us a little skinny on that as well? Because I found that would be a really interesting one.
2: There are a couple of incidents recently, John, that we, that we discovered. So there was an individual who worked at the state of Washington prior to joining the, the administration and his, his boss was Jay Inslee. Who's very much into the, uh, the climate change movement. And he, he created a, a group called the governor Inslee created a group called the U S climate Alliance, um, which it was partially funded by the UN foundation and also there are there have been reports that it was tied to uh some of the these left-wing organizations like Arabella advisors and and organizations like that and uh and so when when casey cadams is the the individual thing who worked for epa he went from working for governor inslee after this u.s climate alliance had started to going to work for epa and he had some very close coordination very Frequent, uh, in involved conversations that we were able to, to document from FOIA documents that we received, uh, with the U.S. Climate Alliance while he was there. And then lo and behold, he leaves EPA and where does he end up? U.S. Climate Alliance. Of course he does. So uh, just going right through the revolving door, uh, you know, without a hitch.
0: Absolutely fascinating. Well, a lot of great work. People have probably a couple of years ago had never heard of Protect the Public Trust. Now it's a household name in Washington and America. If someone's hearing for the first time, what's the best way, Michael, for folks to get in touch, stay in touch with the great work you're doing and support what you're doing?
2: Well, they can follow us on our website, which is protectpublicstrust.org. Um, and we have a, a twitter account where we we talk about the things that we're working on and and our twitter handle is public trust and also we can go to our website and go to the the contact page and on there they should be able to find a, a page to subscribe to our updates and our press releases and when we have information to send out we send it out to our mailing list and they can keep they can get on our contact list and and follow us there and so um happy to to help out when we can, John, and and great to, always great to share our our stuff with you.
0: Uh, We love it. I'm a subscriber to that newsletter. I use it all the time. Uh, It's such important work to be able to keep an eye on the ethics of the any executive branch agency, any administration, regardless of Republican or Democrats, there are ethics roles. And if someone doesn't shine a light on them, there's going to be cheating. And you are shining a very bright light, Michael. We love all the great work you're doing. And uh, we're going to keep a close eye on this grand home story. I think there's more to this that we're going to learn over the next several days. Folks tonight, Nick Balasey on justthenews.com will have an update on that very important grand home story. You got a good early preview because of this great interview today with Michael. Michael, great to have you on. Great to see all the work you're doing. Can't wait to have you rejoin again real soon.
2: Oh, always my pleasure, John. Anytime. We're, we're always happy to come on with you. Sounds great, my friend.
0: All right. One good one to go. And I mean a good one. Bobby Charles from AMAC here next, National Spokesman for the Association of Mature American Citizens. He joins us right after the commercial break. We're going to talk about Biden ethics and is impeachment a possibility. We'll ask Bobby right after these messages. All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. I know you're still digesting some of that breaking news that we've gone to. The ethics of the Biden administration, the ethics of Joe Biden and his son becoming more and more clear every day. And, as you know, the reality that back in 2020, we were lied to. We were given a bogus story about what went on with BRISMA and China and Hunter Biden and the business partners and the big guy. Well, our next guest, because it's Wednesday, right? It's AMAC Wednesday. We love having AMAC Wednesdays. He knows a thing or two about unraveling some mistruths about getting to the real truth in government. He was one of the most accomplished investigators in congressional history, later became an assistant secretary of state under President George W. Bush, where he helped fight the drug war and many other important things. And today he's the national spokesman for the Association of Mature American Citizens. He's our good friend, Bobby Charles, and he joins us again today.
3: Bobby, welcome back to the show. John, it's always a privilege to be on your show.
0: We love having you. I'm still absorbing this newcomer report that came out this morning, but I think it's very consequential because it is basically a, Pay and go. If you pay Hunter Biden millions, you get to go to the Joe Biden dinner. The pattern and timing of this money flowing in around the times that the reward of access to Joe Biden at a cafe Milano dinner, one, by the way, that we were told didn't happen originally. Now we know it did. Two of them, actually. How important is it for establishing the larger notion that this was a pay to play influence peddling operation?
3: You know, I think if we were to all step back, John, 20 paces, and I include Democrats and Republicans and anybody who loves this country, and just look at the massive data that we have right now, and what this, you would have to come to the conclusion that the inferences all point already to criminality of a, of a really significant kind by Joe Biden himself and his son Hunter and, and some peripheral figures. Um, I think if you take this coma report and you add it to that pile or that end of the seesaw, um, I think the, the thing just goes down heavily because e- even if you're a Democrat and you look at this and you say I really don't want to believe the worst about my, about my president about this guy that's the head of our party, the reality is that there's a, there's a there's a moment of comeuppance occurring. Uh, it, it's right around the corner, and Attorney General Merrick Garland and the head of the IRS and the head of the FBI are going to have to never mind. Senate Democrats in particular are going to have to come to and maybe some House ones, some resolution and realize that when the black and white data coming out of the Treasury Department shows $20 million, shows these bank accounts are. I mean, John, you're the, you're truly the wiring diagram guy on this stuff. But I look at the pile every day and I don't understand how anybody in their right mind can look at this and not feel that there is significant criminality afoot. And so. What I would foresee out of this is that there will be action in the House on impeachment, and that's one step. There probably will also be some prosecutorial discussions behind closed curtains about who and when and how and whether and why and and if it's legally possible to uh, think about how you reconvene another grand jury. And you look at Hunter Biden and his connections uh, uh, to his father and his perhaps even one that 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 is convened for his father. And, you know, the problem is we're in the middle of a constitutional crisis. There's just no way around it. Uh, Really, we're in the middle of two constitutional crises of a magnitude that they get our attention. And and they should, because they're the first time in American history that we've had this kind of a scandal. This this is sort of Watergate squared, uh, because what it's doing is it's sucking in because of the division in America right now and the polarity between the two parties. It's sucking people into the defense of Joe Biden, It's sucking the media into silence on Joe Biden in a way that that would not have historically existed, and so it's almost like a trap because a lot of these people that would normally in their in their right minds kind of think yeah i i that's a criminal act, and we got to go after that uh That's a whole series of criminal acts, and we need to go after that. That's greed that's exactly what the founders warned us about. They're not doing that because they are. It's a zero sum game. They think that if they go after their guy because he's a criminal, somehow that's going to benefit the other side. And then, and then John, Honestly, you turn the page and you look at yet another indictment of Trump, which I'm happy to talk about legally as a former you know, U.S. Court of Appeals clerk and a litigator and, a, and counsel on the Hill for oversight. But I'll just tell you, these are very tough times for America, and it's not an illusion. These are tough times. Yeah,
0: no, they are. They're challenging times. The core of what America is and is going to be is, I think, at stake and, and how we de- walk through this extraordinary period of time. I want to ask about some. Something because I think a lot of people don't understand the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Obviously, it was something very important when you were in the State Department. Obviously, the Justice Department. A lot of people think, well, the politician themselves has to be the recipient of the money for FCPA to be a bribe. But in fact, the Justice Department is pretty clear that near relatives receiving the money in conjunction with what's going on with the political figure or the government figure is enough to meet the standard. Do you see in what you now have in the evidence here, you know that Burisma is trying to get protection. That's Devin Archer's word, not ours. You see these, the Russian oligarch, the Kazakhstan oligarch, they get access to Joe Biden shortly after money. One of them, $142,000 car for Hunter Biden. Does this meet any of the potential standards for FCPA now that we have more evidence available to us now?
3: Yeah, John, I, I almost don't see how it can't. So let me let me walk through that for a moment. Uh, you know, every federal, major federal crime has a series of elements that you have to check off in order to first have confidence as an officer of the court, a prosecutor that you're going to bring the action. And then, of course, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And I'll tell you that every federal statute, not just foreign corrupt practices, But also the federal bribery laws under 18 U.S.C. 201, which is actually the law that Jack Smith tried to twist into a pretzel and go after Bob McDonnell with and was censured by the Supreme Court nine to nothing, saying, I mean, I've read that twice in the last week, that decision complete. And it's very interesting. So it's relevant, very relevant, because that statute properly interpreted, absolutely includes if a family member is a beneficiary. So there isn't any federal anti-corruption act that is of any significance that says you have to be the official themselves, has to be the the individual that is the beneficiary. The family member can be a beneficiary. Um, it, it can be almost any family member. And there's a series of other uh, provisions in both foreign corrupt practices and in the federal bribery statute. The thing that you know, that you that you have to do is a timeline. And, and this is where, you know, this is where you either find a smoking gun and those are hard to find, or you put the pieces of the puzzle together and it becomes obvious there's no other conclusion. And when you see the meetings that are occurring, the dollar flows from Ukraine, from these oligarchs who are very closely tied to the governments to, and it, it's really, it, it actually doesn't even matter, but where you see the beneficiaries putting foreign money Romanian, Ukrainian, Chinese, perhaps others into these accounts that belong to the son of the president. And then you see the president's calendar and phone calls and you see the number of meetings that are happening and you see when they're happening in conjunction with the payments. And then you get whistleblowers who say and we use the word whistleblower. What we're really talking about is a highly informed, credible source on the facts an eyewitness testimony to what was going on. And they confirm that what was going on was this corrupt uh, transaction, that's actually an entire uh, pattern and practice of corrupt transactions, which opens the door to Rico, it, it, is, it, it becomes undeniable. And, and the only question I have is, at what point is there going to be a member of the media who says, or a Senate Democrat who says, because it's coming, who says, you know, I've heard enough. I, I've been open-minded. This is my guy, but I, I've had enough. He's a criminal. And uh, it's time for him to throw the towel in or we're going to throw the towel in for him. I mean, this is, of course, on a much lower level, on a much smaller scale. This is what happened when uh, key Republicans sort of enlisted Al Haig to go talk to Richard Nixon and say, sir, this is not going well for you and it's going to go worse if you don't. Uh, you know, make a decision to resign. And I, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here because uh, there's, there's an awful lot of pitted, you know, this is a, this is a pitched battle on a open field where Joe Biden is essentially just a representation of the, of the liberal left in their capacity to control government. So going down is going to be hard, but I'll just say, I don't see how John, you can look at the pile, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, uh, federal bribery, RICO, and not, If you're a sensible, everyday sort of lawyer, I don't care whether you're in the private sector or you're a a prosecutor, I don't see how you don't see these crimes. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's exactly what uh, so many people now are beginning to say. The talk of impeachment is interesting. It seems to be more talk than rhetoric. There isn't a movement yet in the, the House to really create either a select committee that could lead to impeachment or just directly an impeachment inquiry. There's sort of this mixed messaging and lots of bravado, but not much action. What needs to be done to make an educated system? Because two things have to happen, right? You can't just go to impeachment. You also got to bring the public along. There needs to be some educating of the public, a narrative. Give us what you think happens to re- resolve or address the question of whether we should impeach President Joe Biden.
3: What a what a deep and significant and timely question. So, you know, John, to educate the public about anything, by the way, whether you're going to war or you're going to impeach uh, a major figure, never mind a president, y- you have to. The media pay, plays a part in that, and that's what the founders thought the media would do. And the media is resisting that right now. And they're resisting it, I think, again, because of this zero sum game idea that if Joe Biden goes down, then their liberal agenda goes down. And so there's a there's going to have to be a coming to the truth uh, among them. And some of the senior people left in the major media establishments are going to have to say, look, uh, our whole reputation and, in fact, our personal integrity depend upon calling a spade a spade. That would be the beginning of the process. But I will tell you that perhaps this is a surprise thing to say. I am of the view that the resistance to impeachment is because people are playing game theory on both sides of the aisle and know I mean, the Democrats don't have to do much of anything because the ball is in the Republican House's court. Um, But the proper thing to do is to open hearings, present evidence, move to uh, get to articles of impeachment, uh, vote them out of committee, which is actually the only Thing that happened with Richard Nixon, they voted them out of committee and that was enough to cause him to resign. But uh, you vote them out of committee, get a bipartisan vote out of the committee, which obviously sends a signal that you're going to get a bipartisan vote on the floor if you were to get a significant bipartisan impeachment vote out of the House Uh, you would almost certainly, I think, uh, get turning, people would turn, Democrats would turn in the Senate. And uh, because it would become a matter of honor at that point and and truth, uh, the bright light would be on all of them. But I would actually tell you that the resistance to this, I suspect, in the Republican channels are, first of all, there's no better candidate to run against than a guy that's old, losing a lot of his little gray cells and as corrupt as can be, Uh, and has demonstrated that he's willing to take money from foreign nationals. And so, I mean, you get rid of Joe Biden now and he doesn't run again. Uh, I think also, which is a little bit venal, but I think there's some people that that recognize that if he's gone, the whole field opens up for them. The second thing is I don't think they're impressed by Harris. I don't think they're excited to see her become uh, the president. I think there's a national security element to that as well. Not that there isn't at the moment, but... I think there also is with her. So I think there's a I think what's happening inside the the Republican ranks and they have to really come to their own sort of truth moment, because, yeah, if you drag your feet, I suppose there might be some political advantage in that. Just hold the hearings and drag this thing out. But I actually think the Republic is ill-served by a man of no integrity at the top or a woman of no integrity for that matter. I mean, I'm not implying. I'm just saying it doesn't matter. If the person at the top does not have integrity, everything else begins to disintegrate. And when I say integrity, I mean both the moral integrity, John, and what I'll call engineering integrity. If they can't hold the government together because no one respects the person at the top because they know he's a criminal, then we're in trouble. And, And trust me, our adversaries, internal and external, will be quick to move on that.
0: Yeah, there's no
3: doubt. I don't fact, think they already I
0: don't are, think- I think, in some in respects. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I just want to add last little thing, and that is there's no legal opinion that says you can't indict a sitting president. So I'm wondering where are the three or four prosecutors out there who know as a matter of honor that they've got a problem and they ought to be indicting. And why aren't they going to the deputy attorney general, at least, and saying, let us indict where there are facts that support this, whether it's on foreign corrupt practices, Et cetera and that's not happening at least so far as i know
0: these are these are important questions and missing in action some people would say m i a prosecutors m i a investigators. I want to turn to something else that happened that I think is pretty remarkable because when the movie Sound of Freedom came out, there was an enormous pushback by leftist culturalist, elitists to say that this was, you know, the equivalent of QAnon conspiracy theory. There really isn't a problem. It was making up something and trying to pretend that it was. And I find it rather remarkable that in the last 10 days there have been two massive announcements from very credible sources, sources that typically the left would hold up. The FBI, they've been big fans of the FBI in recent years. The FBI arrested more than 100 people for child sex trafficking in a single thing this weekend. Separately, the Texas Department of Public Safety, the state troopers, said that they have rescued 900 children at the border from sex and child trafficking. And the FBI even has an entire website laying out just how big a problem child sex trafficking and servitude is. How ironic is it that the very campaign that liberals waged against the movie first was rejected by Americans because that's the movie's made more than 150 million, and now the FBI and Texas law enforcement in official announcements say, "Hey, in our daily work, we see the sex trafficking. We're arresting the people. We're rescuing the children." It seems like the left told us another lie.
3: Well, I, I think they did, but I, I would say that the bright light that was shined by that movie, uh, you know, this is this is when the media does its best work and Hollywood on occasion. And that is when you shine the bright light on truth and it turns the dial and people begin to pay attention and, and begin to go after it. And so I credit the FBI, I, I seldom credit the FBI, except at they at the agent level but I I credit them with recognizing that this is a big issue. This has always been a big issue, John. I mean, I I worked border issues on drugs, sex trafficking, all kinds of people trafficking, other contraband. In fact, even counterterrorism uh, uh, investigations that related to the border. And I won't go into them, but just to say, this has always been a major issue. What has happened is that the Biden team has allowed this to go haywire. I mean, they've you know if you if you take your hands off the wheel. Uh, All kinds of bad things happen. And and that's what happened here. And the border is open and it is a horrific. I mean, I I, again, I haven't seen the movie. I know about it. I would say this and I do want to see it. I would say this, though. They bear responsibility for all of the lives, the young lives. Those who have decided that the border doesn't matter and that cartels will be given the full and open opportunity to cross uh, for purposes of sex trafficking, drug trafficking, they bear all the responsibility for this. This is, you know, if you invite crime, if you turn away from crime, you're responsible for that crime. And and they're complicit in this crime. And I, I just... I guess on the plus side, I'm glad to see the FBI taking more action. Maybe it's the beginning of a trend line. Maybe it would cause the Department of Homeland Security to look harder at this. I hope so. The left... To me, John, I have so little confidence in those who consider themselves leftist journalists that I think they have an agenda. The agenda is to denounce anything tied to freedom, uh, and that happens to be the sound of freedom in one lens or color. We have freedom under assault in all kinds of ways. The First Amendment is under assault, the Second Amendment is under assault, the Fourth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment gives us due process is under assault. The Sixth, which gives us fair trials, is under assault. The Tenth, which reserves to the states anything not given to the, pe- not ge- and to the people, not given to the federal government, is under assault. And the family is under assault. Parents are under assault. The churches and the synagogues and the, and the mosques are under assault from the federal government. And I, I mean, it's worse in many places around the world, but we're starting, we're putting our foot down a slippery slope when it comes to allowing this kind of assault on freedom to go unchecked. So I'm glad the FBI is acting on it. It is a horrific, heartbreaking uh it, it phenomenon. And I I think we need to, you know, just maybe this is, I'd like to look at the positive side of it, which is to say at least some action is happening now that wasn't before the movie and congratulate those who who took the time and effort and courage to
2: create it. Yeah,
0: that is exactly the moment that we're in, a moment of courage, a moment of truth. You talked about the assault on freedom, assault on the American experience really i think in the number of first amendment and second amendment challenges the censorship the effort to find different ways to disarm americans or make it harder for them to bear arms as the constitution said the first and second amendments i assume were number one and number two because that's what the founding fathers thought were the two most important priorities for preserving freedom long term both are under assault how will that assault on freedom play out in the 2024 election. It seems to me that the election of 2024 isn't just a choice between Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or whoever it's going to be. It's also a referendum
3: on what sort of America we're going to be in the future. Yes. And in fact, to to take your last sentence there, John, and refine it slightly, I think I think it becomes an election on whether you do or don't believe in the Bill of Rights. I mean, uh, you know, those who, the founding fathers, you're absolutely right, took 60 potential amendments, uh, narrowed them with James Madison sort of at the fore, narrowed them to 10, uh, and and it was, you know, it was was people like uh, George Mason and Randolph and others who had been part of the Constitutional Convention who said, we will not pass these articles that give us a republic. Unless there are these guarantees that the individual rights will not be taken by the federal government, well, how prescient was that? They couldn't get to three quarters of the of the of the uh, colonies to vote for this unless they had the Bill of Rights. So now we ran, you know wind it forward to today. This really becomes 2024 becomes election an election about whether you believe that the individual God-given rights uh, that are that are captured by that, by the first 10 amendments, in particular, you're absolutely right. The first, which is speech and faith and grievance and, and uh, movement basically all embodied in that. And the second is self-defense and particularly self-defense against the government. If those two provisions are not preserved in toto with the widest possible ambit for individuals to exercise those rights, Then, well, the third had to do with with troops, but then the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, cruel and unusual punishment, the ninth and tenth, uh, they all go to nothing. And so, uh, you know, this becomes 2024 becomes an election, which is freedom versus the alternative. And I think it's a very simplistic way to look at it, because we also believe very clearly we believe in equal opportunity for all Americans. Uh, This is the American dream. This is the American dream that Abraham Lincoln and and Martin Luther King and Ronald Reagan and Theodore Roosevelt and Harry Truman, everybody, John Kennedy believed in the American dream, the idea that equal opportunity and widest freedom for the individual, uh, consistent with everybody else's freedom. That that is the idea of America. So it's going to be that idea versus those that would like to centralize power, uh, do not shine the light on corruption, you know, no integrity in government needed, no accountability needed for government. And by the way, if I don't like you, I can spit on you, I don't need to talk to you. That's that's the alternative. And and I know that there are people on the left that would say, well that's you. I would tell you, no, we are willing to have the conversation just have a civil nonviolent conversation and let's get to a better understanding of what this country really is about John that's what I think the 24 election is going to come down to yeah
0: that is really what's at stake it's so much it's so much bigger an election issue this time a lot of times it's about the pocketbook and I'm sure the pocketbooks on the thing but the the essence of what America're going to be over the next decade or two decades is irrefutably on the ballot and I think we only need to look to the north and Canada what's going there to see one vision of what democracy could look like in a few years with all of the freedoms that have been restrained there. News being censored off of Facebook now, pretty remarkable warning signs just to the north of our border. It's pretty crazy. One of the great things I love about AMAC, and I've been a member now for more than a year, I joined with, I took the five-year membership, by the way, the best bargain I've ever paid for. It paid for itself in just a few short weeks, is the ability to Join people of like-minded values like you and others. Bobby, I want to, for folks that are listening, you've set up this incredible site for us, .us, amac.us, amac.us slash justnews, where you can sign up. You get a discount already on signing up. I encourage people to match me in the five-year thing. But when you join... AMAC, you not only get the discounts, you not only get all the services and the opportunity to get unique Medicare products and discounts on hotels and and whatever, you start to join a community where people are having conversations and taking action to really fight for the future of this country. What's it like when someone first joins AMAC? It's quite, it was really a very enriching personal experience, but what are they going to get and what are they going to feel when they get that membership deal signed?
3: You know, I, I, I think, John, And again, I didn't come to this by accident. I think of AMAC as in many ways the inheritor of the Reagan legacy, which in some ways was smaller government, lower taxes, solvent government, um, strong defense, good moral compass, and remembering that we always work for the people. Uh, The people don't work for us, Uh, you know, leaders who take that view. AMAC in many ways personifies that. And I, I feel like it's a no brainer. It's you know, it's it, it's like America putting their arms around you. I mean, it is a true community there every single state has tens of thousands of members. Now there are more than two million members. They you actively are informed. And given the opportunity, if you so wish, to get deeply involved in your own state's political process at any age, you know I, I always say uh, if you think you're going to turn 50 someday, you can join. Uh, and and the bottom line is, you you the, the end game here is that you get the chance as a civic participant to make a big difference, not only at the local level and at the state level, because all the information flows are two way there, and there's lots of legislation at the state level that AMAC has already turned around. They've turned Around ranked choice voting in many states, they've turned around uh, a lot of issues that are of significance for election integrity. Uh, you have the opportunity, of course, to become part of the process as you know poll watchers and all the rest. But they they and they also operate very heavily at the national level. They're constantly discussing on the Hill how to properly realign the country back to being solvent. I mean, as you know, our credit rating fell markedly uh, as a result of recent economic uh, policies. They you know Amac fights to get American credibility uh, up there at the top internationally, as well as to defend the Bill of Rights, and and so you know at the end of the day, if, if you have you know an extra, it's a handful of dollars, it's not much, and you want to both save money and save the country, I, I think there is no better investment. I mean, I I, I what else could you? I mean, I'm a Amer- you know I have a couple of veteran organizations I'm a member of, and I love being members of them, and it gives me the chance to talk with other veterans, but they don't do what AMAC does. AMAC is constantly engaged in in the political process, in the communications process, in the educational process. They break new news uh, every week. They work very hard to, they've got a whole team of people out there giving you things in the magazine and in the website. I write a piece every single day. I look deep for things, you know, at the end of the day, John, and they have access to people like you. I I honestly don't think of any better investment for, you know, the handful of dollars that it takes, not much to get you in the door and then, Uh, you become part of the process. You become someone who is trying to save the country.
0: A five-year membership is less than a night out of the town for dinner here in D.C. or New York or anywhere else. It's, It's an unbelievable bargain. It pays for itself. But that experience of being among millions, not among thousands, but among millions of Americans that share your values, are getting informed about how to protect those values and then get involved i mean amac action particularly does so many amazing things i was thinking about the recent work it did on the patient act and all of the bipartisan support it is building for a common sense thing where people can get transparency about the cost of medical devices and drugs and pick the cheapest one or the best one for them. That's the sort of thing that AMAC delivers on a daily basis. It's amazing. Folks, if you want to take advantage of this, if you want to join Bobby and me in this incredible organization, all you got to do is go to amac.us, A-M-A-C.us slash Just News. You can sign up. To tell you. You're going to get a discount off the normal prices and you're going to get involved. Daily, monthly magazine, daily news content, all sorts of discounts, literally discounts that will pay more than repay you for the membership fee. And then on top of it, the opportunity to engage and be with like-minded Americans and do civic good, make a difference in this country. That's what AMAC offers. Go check that out today, slash. Just News. Bobby, we love having you on. It's always an honor. And I always feel like we walk away way wiser than when we started the conversation. That is a gift to all of the listeners of this podcast. So thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you, John. It is, again, a privilege to always be on your show. You you truly are. And long before you were associated with AMAC, I have always thought that your investigations have turned the dial in America with a lot of With a lot of uh, courage, because, uh, I mean, we've used that word a couple of times, but the reality is that America needs courage right now. It needs courageous citizens, and it needs courageous reporters, and it needs courageous political leaders. And if there's anything that we're missing, I would say it's those three things.
0: (laughs) You got that right. Well, there's a clarion call to action, so maybe some people will step into the void. That's the exciting part. And you've been in that void for a long time, and uh, you continue to serve there, Bobby. It's great to have you on. We'll have you on again real soon. Give our best to all our good friends at AMAC. Sounds good. Good. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Quick reminder, it's AMAC Wednesday. If you haven't gotten your AMAC membership, but you're inspired to do so because you just heard the wisdom that Bobby shares on this show every week during the AMAC Wednesday segment, go to amac.us slash justnews, amacamacus justnews to sign up today, get a membership, match me on my five-year membership. It's a bargain. And you get discounts. You get great news, great political intelligence, a great opportunity to join Like-Minded America and some of the AMAC action civic duties that they organize. And of course, you get a great podcast and a monthly magazine that's great reading. Don't miss any of that. That is the bargain of bargains. All right. That wraps up today's edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. God bless you. If you get a hankering for some news, go check us out at justthenews.com 24-7. We've got you covered with breaking news and, of course, some of the best investigative reporting we can deliver to you each day. God bless. Have a good night, folks. We'll be back tomorrow.